Good morning, everybody. Today is part two of our series, This is Lineage. So excited about it. I had my workbook with me. I was going to hold it up this morning, and I walked out the door and forgot it because I was grabbing so many things. But just pretend I've got this This is Lineage workbook in my hand. And remember this week uh, to use that workbook. Not only right now you should have it out so that you can take some notes in it and be ready for the discussion in your, in your community group meetings this week. Uh, very excited about where we're going with this. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. It says simply, remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come, or the years draw nigh when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Remember now your creator. Say, remember now. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. I know some of y'all are thinking that was, that's, those are, they're gone. <laughs> the days of my youth are gone. <laughs> but just pretend you're young again. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come or the years draw nigh when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, speak to us today by the power of your word and spirit. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This was a verse of scripture I learned when I was a little boy. Remember now, your creator, in the days of your youth. I knew it was significant, but I didn't understand why. I didn't understand how. I didn't even understand what it meant. Remember now, your creator, in the days of your youth, before the tough times come, before the difficult days come, yeah. or the years draw nigh in which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. What does that mean? It means... Remember God now so that you don't have to look back on your life at the end of your life and say, what was I doing? Before you look back on your life and regret yeah. all the years of forgetting God, yeah, yeah. of not walking with Him, of forsaking Him, of saying in your heart, one day I'm going to get it right with Him. One day when I'm done having my fun or when I'm finished sowing my royal oats or whatever, whatever it is that I'm doing, one day when I'm, I'm finished finding myself or doing my own thing, one day I'm going to get it right with God. You're going to look back on your life and say, what was I doing? I take no pleasure in them. Wow. Yeah. I wish I could go back and remember my creator. I wish I could go back and yeah. live for God. Wow. Yeah. Remember, don't forget. Memory is a funny thing, isn't it? Yeah. It's crazy, the stuff that you remember and the stuff that you can't remember. Yeah. You look back on your life and you remember some things and you're amazed. I have some memories that go all the way back to like two, one-year-old, even earlier, that I can't believe I remember some of this stuff. And then there's stuff that I can't believe I've forgotten. Yeah. Like what I did with my AirPods. I wish I could remember... <laughs> where I put my AirPods. But why is it I can remember my mother holding me when I was, I don't know, eight, nine months old? I can remember certain things that don't make any sense, and I forget other things that also don't make any sense. My wife is always like, don't you remember I told you that yesterday? I just told you that this morning. I just said this to you right now. How come you can't remember that? The memory's a funny thing, isn't it? But there's multiple levels of memory. Yeah. The baseline level of memory is your memory, your cognitive 
ability to recall an event or to recall a conversation, to recall something that, that has happened in life. But there's a deeper level of memory that the Bible is actually talking about when the scripture says, remember now your creator. And that level of memory is not actually the, simply the ability to recall. When he says, remember your creator, he's not saying, you know, um, just be able to recall the theology of who he is. Like if I were to ask you, who is your creator? Oh, I remember. He's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Like I can remember theologically who God is. I can remember the names of the books of the Bible. I can remember the, the 12 uh, apostles of Jesus. I can remember the epistles of Paul. I have memorized a certain number of scriptures, and that's what it means to remember my creator. That's not what it means. The memory of who your creator is resides in a deeper place. The purest form of memory is habit. The purest form of memory is habit. When the scripture says, remember your creator, the Bible is not talking about remembering him with, cognitively, but remembering him in the way that you live your life. Wow. Yeah. That is making a decision to construct a set of habits that is lived out of the memory of your creator. Wow. You see, the thing about habits is that they reside in a deep part of the brain. They don't reside in the prefrontal cortex where, where your conscious mind is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They reside in the middle brain and it, all the way down into the stem. So much so that even if you had severe dementia or Alzheimer's, wow. you'd forget everything else. You wouldn't remember your own name. You wouldn't remember the members of your family, but you'd remember your habits. My grandmother, I watched her waste away. She didn't know who I was. She didn't recognize anyone in the room. But if I sat down next to her and said, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, she would shake her head and say, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Yeah, Why? Yeah. Because meditating on Scripture had become a habit yeah, yeah, that yeah. was so deeply ingrained in her heart that even when she forgot everything else, she remembered that. She still remembered her Creator. Now, when we're talking about remembering our Creator, we're remembering our, our relationship with Him. There's actually two levels of that as well. There's the memory of what my life was like before I came into relationship with my Creator. And there's the memory of the deliverance that He brought into my life when He came to me. The problem with the children of Israel in the wilderness is that they remembered both. And sometimes they remembered the wrong thing. What is it in uh, Numbers chapter 11, verse 5, 4 and 5? They're in the wilderness and they're crying out, they want meat. Who will give us meat to eat, they cry out. And it says, they succumbed to the deep cravings of their heart. And they said, for we remember the fish that we ate in Egypt. We remember the leeks and the cucumbers and the garlic. We remember the fish and the, the leeks and the vegetables and the cucumbers. We remember that we used to sit around these pots of meat and eat meat. We forgot that we were slaves. We forgot that we had to make bricks all day. We forgot that they used to beat us, but we remember the fish and the leeks. You see, all forms of rebellion against God and sin are a remembrance of the benefits of slavery. Yes, I was a slave, but they were benefits. I was a slave with benefits. And so I remember the benefits, and so now I can rebel as a believer. I'm rebelling, I'm backsliding as a believer because I'm remembering the benefits of my slavery. Wow. Wow. 
But over and over again, God speaks to the children of Israel. You read the book of Deuteronomy, and the key word in the book of Deuteronomy is remember. And what does God say? Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. Remember that you were slaves. Forget about the fish. Remember that you were slaves. The problem is you're remembering the fish and you forgot that you were slaves. You forgot about the whips and the chains. You forgot about the brutality of your slave. You forgot how bad it was to be a slave. All you're remembering is, but we got to eat fish at night. Remember. Remember your creator. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and when you look, if you were to just look up that word remember in the book of Deuteronomy, there's always a command. Wow. And then he says, why? Remember. Wow. This is the, the memory of your freedom from slavery must take the form of obedience, wow. a habit. Huh. Huh. Okay. Right? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Huh. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember. Remember. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, therefore, yeah. obey my commands. Yeah. Obedience to the commands of God is the memory, is the form that our memory of our freedom should take. Wow. I'm going to walk in obedience to God. Why? Because I remember that I used to be a slave. I remember how bound up I was. I remember how tied up I was. And I remember that he brought me out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Yeah. I remember the plagues. I remember the Red Sea. I remember the problem is that there must be a form of generational memory. Because there was a generation that actually was there in Egypt. That actually witnessed the plagues. That actually witnessed the exodus. They actually gathered their belongings and walked out of Egypt. They actually watched as the waters of the Red Sea parted from before their eyes. They actually walked through the waters. They actually came to Mount Sinai and saw the power of God come down upon the mountain and the fire. The mountain began to melt. In the... They actually heard the voice of God speak from the mountain saying, I am Yahweh Eloheinu. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt on eagle's wings. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down to them. You shall not worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. They actually heard the voice, but there were generations that followed that did not remember because they weren't there. And so God's, God's, the giving of the law was a form of generational memory. He says, here are the habits. That's what the law is. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a list of habits. Get in the habit of remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It's a habit. You're going to do this every week. And the reason you're going to do this every week is it's going to remind you on a weekly basis that you used to be slaves. I was never a slave. My grandparents were slaves. Yes, but you're not going to forget. Why? Because if you forget that your grandparents were slaves, you're going to forget the God who brought your grandparents out of Egypt. If you forget the generational history of your people, you will forget the God who formed your people, and you're going to turn your people into something else. We get to Samuel's day, and it says in 1 Samuel chapter 3 that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. What happened? The people forgot how to hear from God. 
Why? Because this was a new generation. This was not the generation that came through the Red Sea. Those people knew how to hear from God, but this was a new generation. This was not the generation that was, that was there in the wilderness. Those people knew how to hear from God, but this was a new generation, and now suddenly the word of the Lord was rare in those days. People didn't know how to hear from God. Why? Because they not just simply they had forgotten their history, they had forgotten their habits. The next generation had forsaken the habit. They had not remembered the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Had they kept the Sabbath day holy and come to worship God on the Sabbath, they would not have forgotten how to hear from God. History is important. History matters. History matters. Because the history of any people of God is not simply a set of historical accidents. If you look at the history of our church, you're not simply looking at a chronological retelling of what happened. Who used to come and who doesn't come anymore. Who joined the church, what God did. If you, if you want to understand who we are as a people, you must understand who we were when we started this church. You must understand our history because our history is not a set of historical accidents. Yeah, 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 yeah. The divine moments that comprise our history are not accidents. They are altars. Yeah. Altars that God enabled us, empowered us to build. And if you don't understand what those altars are, you will not understand the altars that God intends for us to build. Because when you go back to our birth, there were certain habits, certain habits that we acquired from the start. And those habits comprise the memory of what God did in us when he gave us birth. And those habits are the generational memory of what God did when he gave birth to us. Our sense of identity is found in our habits, not simply in our ability to articulate Vision, mission, and values, our ability to articulate a theology of who God is, our ability to articulate, oh, look, we're so diverse and that's so cool. That's not who we are at the core. Yeah, 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 yeah. There were three habits that formed the core of who we were yeah. from the very beginning. And church, if we forget these habits, we forget ourselves. If we forget these habits, we forget the God who gave us birth. Wow. If we forget these three habits, we're like the children of Israel who forgot the Lord. Wow. And remember the fish and the leeks, but forgot the Lord. Wow. This message is both a reminder from the original gangsters who were with us from day one, <laughs> but also to the new generation who's just showing up that this is not just who we were, this is who we are. And, if this, and this, if this is not actively who we are, it means we've forgotten who we are. The first habit was desperation. The habit of desperation. We were desperate for God on a daily basis. Desperate. Desperate. 
Psalm 42, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My body longs for you. My soul thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Those were our cries. That was the cry. We're so thirsty. We're so desperate for God. We, were, we called ourselves the, the fellowship of the burning heart. You remember that? That was the core of our identity. And everything we did came out of that core of desperation. That core of desperation, that determined our activity list. And what was our activity list when we first started? Sunday morning worship, Friday night prayer. We'd go over to the Venables house on Friday nights, and we would pray. And then we would gather in Emeryville on Sunday morning, and we would worship. But everything, we it, it was simply because if you start with only desperation, what activities come out of that? Not a lot of pizza parties. <laughs> but prayer meetings. Our desperation demanded that we pray, that we seek the face of God. We went from Friday night prayer to early morning prayer. Early morning prayer was 40 days of prayer before Easter. 40 days of prayer before Easter turned into two and a half years of 5.30 a.m. prayer. Kevin, Sylvia, Dele would show up at our apartment at 5.30 every morning, seven mornings a week, for two and a half years. Dele brought Adun. You guys don't know Dele. He's in Atlanta now. Adun is in college now. Isn't that nuts? Wow. That is just crazy. She was so angry every morning. <laughs> she was Isla's age. Yeah, yeah. And Dele would carry her in at 5.30 in the morning. You remember, Kev? And she'd be looking around the room like this. <laughs> yeah, I the heck, Dad? Did, where are you, what am I doing here at 5.30? Every single morning. Yeah. We yeah. were desperate. Kev, yeah. you remember those Saturday morning prayer meetings? The 5.30 a.m. prayer meeting, it would end at 6.30, technically, yeah. but Saturdays, we would go sometimes all day. Yeah. And yes, we would eat breakfast together at 10 or 11 o'clock after praying for four or five hours. Yeah. And I remember Sylvia would just sit there and cry sometime and say, this just didn't scratch the itch yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm so thankful for this time, but it just doesn't scratch the itch. I, I just want more. I'm, I'm hungry for God. It was this desperation. It was this deep calling unto deep. Yeah, yeah. We were convinced from the start that the world is not dying and in need of a church. The world is dying and in need of God. Yeah. And we were desperate not for church, but for God. Yeah, yeah. We were desperate not to provide an encounter with church, but an encounter with God. Yeah. We were desperate not for success. We were desperate for God. We wanted yeah. the spirit of God. We yeah. want at the core of our being more of you, God. Yeah. That's who we were, desperation. Yeah. But not just desperation, but expectation. Expectation. At Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, verse, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. That was not just about the end of the age for us when Jesus will eventually come at the end. No, no, no. He's coming with clouds. When we gather together and we pray and seek him in desperation, the next thing that comes is expectation. He's coming. 
He's coming right here in this place. He's, you better get ready. If we're going to get together and worship, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. His presence is coming. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. That was the cry of our heart, but not just at the end of the age. Come right now. Come. We expect you to come. We expect you to move. We expect you to heal. We expect you to touch. We expect you to deliver. We expect you to free. We expect you to bless. We expect you to strengthen. We expect you to empower. We expect nothing short of an audience with the living God. That is who we are at our core. Expectation for us was a habit from the very beginning. We don't gather without desperation and we don't gather without expectation. What are we going to do? The events list didn't matter, but we expect. The question is, what are we expecting? What are we believing God is going to do? Expectation, that's that expectant, desperate faith. That says, no, God is going to break through in this moment. God, we hear, we hear the sound of sickness and disease. We expect God to heal it. We meet somebody who's bound. We expect God to set them free. Yeah. Blind eyes, we expect them to open. Deaf ears, we expect them to be unstopped. Financial p- problems, we expect God to provide. Yeah, yeah. Expectation, we expect. We do not accept. We expect. And every time we would begin to fall short of the habit of expectation, there'd be somebody among us who would call us back to it. Somebody among us who would call us back to it. I remember we were coming in, by the end of our 5.30 a.m. prayer meeting, it was just me and Kevin. (laughs) Just me and Kevin. And we would drive to Emeryville. Both of us would come to Emeryville. We'd meet. And we would just pray together for an hour. And then we'd go have coffee, and we would talk. Just me and Kevin. And I remember thinking, I think we should let this go. I remember I was driving into Emeryville one morning, and I thought, I'm going to tell Kev, I think this is the last day, or this is the last week or something. Like, we should just, we should end this. And uh, <laughs> I, I kid you not, I get to Emeryville, and the first thing Kev said, he goes, hey, good morning, PB. I said, hey, how you doing? He goes, yeah, you know, I was just on the way here, and the Lord was speaking to me. And uh, I was reminded of how Samuel told Saul, wait for me, I'm coming to make the sacrifice. <laughs> But Saul couldn't wait. And Saul said, forget it, I'm making the sacrifice right now. And as soon as he made the sacrifice, Samuel showed up. If Saul would have just waited just a little bit longer. And he says, you know, sometimes we give up on things before God moves. Whereas if we'd have just waited a little bit longer, I was like, thank you, Lord. It's not time to give up on this yet. It's not time to stop. God sent a word to me to tell me, don't give up on your expectation. Don't give up on your desperation. Don't stop. It's not over yet. We went through this financially. Remember in 2007, the bottom fell out of the economy. We barely survived 2007, 2008. By the time we got to 2008, we were financially gasping for breath. Dyrell was our bookkeeper at the time, our our financial director at the time. And I remember the first time it happened, he called me. It was like probably early 2008. He called me, he goes, okay, pastor, so uh, do we pay the staff or the rent? I said, what? He said, well, we don't have enough to pay both. So I need to know which one you want to pay, the staff or the rent. I was like, oh, Lord. Well, well, wait a minute. How short are we? $6,800. Well, when do we need it by? Tomorrow morning at the the latest. Wait a minute. You're telling me we need $6,800 by tomorrow morning? Mm Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you've got to tell me which one to pay. I said, oh, Lord, I'll call you back. So I hung up the phone with him, 
And I called Robert Daniels. I called Pastor Daniels. I was like, Bishop, you got to pray for us. I said, why? Because we're 6,800 short. He goes, no, man of God, you're not 6,800 short. <laughs> It's like, no, nah, you don't get it, Bishop. I just talked to the bookkeeper. He's looking at the books. It says we are 6,000. No, man of God. No, that's not true. That's a lie. You're telling me the bookkeeper's lying? He goes, no, 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 no. It's there. You just don't see where it is. You need to pray that God give you revelation to see where it is. I said, this man done lost his mind. You know what he was saying? Expect. You've just embraced the reality that you're short. You've just accepted it. You do not accept, you expect. That's the habit. I began to come short of that habit. He called me back to it. Now you go home and get on your knees until you begin to expect. So we called a prayer meeting. We called the governing leaders in our church, said, come to our house tonight, we've got an emergency. 9 p.m., they all showed up in our living room. We need $6,800 by tomorrow morning. Let's pray. And we were not doing those, you know, those uh, uh, King James Version prayers. Oh, Lord of the wind and King, King of the earth, you who sit upon the fountain. No, no, no. This is what we prayed. God, give us $6,800 by tomorrow morning. We prayed very specifically for an hour. And at the end of that hour, the Lord spoke to my wife. and She said, the Lord says it's done. Now rejoice. So we began to rejoice. Well, everybody but me. I was still having trouble coming to faith. And so everybody's, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm like, oh, God, please, you still got to do this. I said it's done. I had to fight for my expectation. The next morning, I woke up early, and I'm in my prayer closet. Oh, God, send us that $6,800. Oh, God, send us that. And my phone rings, and I looked at it, and ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> Reject. Oh, God, send me my... Same person called me back again and said, ain't got no time for this. Reject. Oh, God, send the sick. And the same person called a third time. I, said, I answered the phone. I said, listen, I do not have time to talk to you. Right now we've got an emergency. She says, Pastor, I need to meet with you right now. I said, well, it's going to have to wait. She goes, no, it can't wait. I've got a check for $6,800 that I need to give you right now for my tithe because I just had a settlement come through this morning for $68,000, and I need to give my tithe right now. I said, I'll meet you at the bank. I mean the exact amount at the exact time God demonstrated to us that what he requires is our expectation, and that is what faith is. Faith is standing before a mountain of impossibility with no decrease in expectation. It's a habit. It's a habit. The third habit was visitation. Visitation. There's that scene in Acts chapter 14 that was so paradigmatic for us. That Peter and John had been beaten and then released, and then they go home and they tell, they report to their people all that the chief priests and scribes had said, all of the threats, and then they pray this prayer. They lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Oh God, your you're Lord, your maker of heaven and earth. They pray this prayer, and then it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. That is, they prayed until the visitation came. Not just desperation, not just expectation, but visitation. 
What happens is if you give up on your desperation and your expectation, you never get to visitation. Yeah. And you get in the habit of not meeting with God. You get in the habit of not experiencing the presence of God. Yeah. You get in the habit of not breaking through. You get in the habit of not experiencing the Holy Spirit. You get in the habit of living at less than full of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Church, we've lost the habit of visitation. Wow. We've almost forgotten. Wow. Almost completely forgotten. I remember in the first month when we started our church in 2004, First month, we were meeting at the Holiday Inn in Emeryville, which is now the Hilton Garden Inn. And I remember there was a Saturday where I locked myself away in my bedroom, and I cried out to God all day. There was just this hunger, this thirst. And I remember I felt the word of the Lord come to me as we entered into the service from the first song, I'm going to visit you. From the, this was maybe our second, third, second or third Sunday in our history. From the first song, I'm going to visit you. That's what the Lord said. And so the band starts singing the first song. And the Lord said, now. And I jumped up in the middle of that song and grabbed the mic. And I said, everyone lift your hands and just begin to pray right now. God is coming right now. And the presence of God came and swept through that place. And every, you remember that day, baby? Everyone started weeping and crying out to God. And the presence of God was so thick, people were, kept going out into the hallway to catch their breath. And then going back in, it was so, I'll never forget that day. It was like, yes, this is it. Even before we started our church, we had these night meetings that we borrowed this church in Oakland. In December of 2003, we had four of these night meetings. You remember those? And every night, each, in each of those four meetings, we would just, I was just a piano, and it was, it was nothing. It was just 40 of us. But we would worship and pray, and then all of a sudden, the presence of God would sweep through. And we had moments where the presence of God was so strong that it was just dead silent. We couldn't play. We couldn't sing. Nobody could prophesy. Nobody could do anything because the, it was like, God, what did the prophet say? The Lord is in his heavenly temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. It was those moments where it's just silent. But God is here. It's a moment of visitation. Visitation is not just an event, it's a habit. Desperation is not something that just comes over you, it's a habit. Expectation is not simply something that happens when the Holy Spirit stirs you, it's a habit. Habits that we've almost forgotten. Habits that if we don't pass down from generation to generation to generation to generation, in one generation, we're going to forget who we are. And we begin to exchange the habits that comprise our history with the result of those habits. And now, instead of celebrating our desperation for God, our expectation of his move and his visitation, we exchange that for a celebration of our diversity. Look at us, we're different colors. Woohoo! We're different nations. Woohoo! We speak different languages. Hallelujah! And all of a sudden we start saying, let's focus on that. Wow. Let's focus on our diversity. Wow. Let's focus on that. Let's, let's be diverse. Let's be intentionally diverse. And we forget who we are, that our diversity was the fruit of our desperation. It was the fruit of our expectation. Listen, when we came together, we did not give a hoot what color you were. Are you, are you willing to be desperate with us? 
then let's go. We don't care what color you are. We don't care what language you speak. We don't care. We just we just care about our desperation, our expectation. And the fruit of that desperation, expectation and visitation was diversity. It just happened. Let's celebrate our excellence in worship. We've got so many talented musicians. Woohoo! Let's celebrate that. Let's focus on that. Let's get more talented musicians so that we can have more excellent worship. Forgetting that that expression of worship came out of our desperation, our expectation, and our visitation. Let's celebrate our artisticness, our creativeness, design. Woo! Graphics! Videography! Cool! We forgot the Lord. Let's celebrate the fact that we're multi-generational. Let's celebrate the fact that we're multi-ethnic. Let's celebrate the fact that we're multi-educational. And yes, it's great. We celebrate it, but it's secondary. It's third dairy. It's fourth dairy. It's... Fifth theory. It's, it's, it's out there. It's there, and we're thankful for it, but it's the byproduct of the actual thing. That to remember our creator, the creator of this church, the fact, the fact is that our church would not exist had God not brought it forth. It was in the mind of God from before the foundation of the world. He destined us to be a people when we were not a people. He envisioned this house before any of us were born. And if we forget what he put in us from the very beginning, then we forget the God who created us. Remember now your creator, church. Remember now your creator. And I say the days of our youth because as a church, we're only 17 years old. Rumi, how old are you? Rumi was born three months before this church was born. She was born in August. It was born in January. If you want to know how old we are as a church, look at Rumi. The church will always be Rumi's age. We're still young. But already we're feeling tempted to forget. Because it's in any child's teenage years that you are tempted to forget who you are tempted to forget the lessons mommy and daddy taught you when you were a little girl or a little boy. Tempted to forget the conversations that mommy and daddy had. Tempted to go your own way. Tempted to forget. Tend to move off track. And we are in those years right now where the temptation is stronger than ever. We are in our teenage rebellious years where we're tempted to remember the fish and the leeks and the pots of vegetables but to forget that we were slaves in Egypt. But God brought us out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Forget that we were birthed because of the power of God and the presence of God. How can you tell? Because we're losing sight of the habits. And this pandemic has not helped, has it? One habit was just coming to church. 
And this pandemic, you know what it's done? A lot of people have said, why do I need to be there on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m.? I can watch the YouTube video anytime. Instead, I'll tell you what I'll do with my Sunday mornings. I'm going to go hiking. I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to go have lavish brunches. And I'm going to go fellowship with friends. And instead of gathering together, I'm going to forsake the gathering. And I'm going to treat the Sunday morning service as a resource that I can consume at my leisure. Forgetting that actually simply getting up and coming to church on a Sunday is a habit. And if you forget the habit, you forget the God. Just something simple like that. Our history, understanding our history, it's not just about where we were this year where we were that year. But at the core of our history, it's always going to be the call of God, the invitation of God. Invitation of God to us was to be the fellowship of the burning heart. Hearts that burn. And to never accept apathy as my current reality. It's just where I am right now. I mean, I can't just make myself. No, but you can get in the habit. You can form the habit. And that's what the commandments were. Get in the habit of it. Make it have. Make a decision. No, you're not going to naturally wake up on the Sabbath and decide I'm going to keep it holy. But you just make a decision. The Sabbath is holy. Remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. Take no other gods before you. Don't bow down to them. Don't worship them. I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God. Don't take the name of Yahweh Elohenu in vain. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't don't get in the habit of using my name loosely. Don't get in the habit of dishonoring your mom and dad. Don't get in the habit of stealing. Don't get in the habit of killing. killing. Don't get in the habit of coveting your neighbor's wife. Those are habits that mean that you have forgotten me. That you've remembered the fish forgotten your freedom. Jesus creates this generational memory when he sits with his disciples in the upper room, night that he was betrayed, takes the bread, breaks it. He says, take and eat this. This is my body which is broken for you. Then he says, do this in remembrance of me. Get in the habit of doing this. This is how you remember me. And what I want you to remember of me, that my body was broken for you. Because if you forget the sacrifice that I paid, if you forget that this wine represents my blood that was shed for you, my body and my blood. What do you remember? You remember my body and my blood. You remember my passion and my sacrifice. Remember that you were slaves, but I brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and that mighty hand and an outstretched arm broke my body and shed my blood, and that's how I brought you to freedom. Don't you forget that. Jesus was literally saying to his 12 disciples, I'm giving you the stewardship of the memory of what I'm about to do. And if you forget it, the next generations to come will forget it. If they forget it, 
They might be a religious club that calls themselves Christian. But they've forgotten the very heart, the passion, the core of who I am and what I came to do. Remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember now your creator in the days of your church. If we forget our core, our history, the altars that God has given us to build, if we forget about those altars, if we forget about the desperation, the expectation, and the visitation, if we forget that, we might one day become a great church with thousands of people. We might become a worldwide phenomenon, a household name. We might become, you know, uh, with multi-million, multi-million dollar properties, and we might even have a record label that, that sends music all over the world. But if we forget that core, we're going to look back two decades from now and say, I take no pleasure in any of it. I would trade all of the success and all of the thousands of people and all of, the, all of the, the notoriety and the fame and all of the success and the huge buildings, I'd trade it all to go back and get that desperation. I'd trade it all to go back and get that expectation for God to move. I would trade it all to go back and have a visitation with God. Even if it's only 40 people in the room, we're going to be 40 people who meet with God. Remember, we are stewards of the memory of what God did when he gave birth to us. Stewards. Stewards of the memory of the day that I was driving right up 40th and the Lord spoke to me and said, this is the place. You're going to come here and plant a church. Stewards of the 10-day fast I went on before even telling my wife. Stewards of the fast Sonny and I went on together before we told our pastor. Stewards of the step of faith. Stewards of the memory of the people who by faith came and stood with us from the very beginning, giving up everything. Stewards of the sacrifice. The sacrifices of those who came before us from the very beginning. Stewards of the memory of the miracles. If I could tell you of the miracles, blind eyes opened in the middle of worship with nobody laying hands on them. Because that's how God responds to a people who are desperate and expect. Stewards of the healings of sickle cell anemia, of, of uh, cancer, and so many other, diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease. Folks who were snatched from the jaws of death in the middle of service, who were sitting there dying, and God snatched them from the jaws of death. And they're still walking among us. Pastor Vern Davis was trying to sit there and die. And the word of the Lord came through the prophet Sonny Robinson, and she stood up and said, you will live and not die. And the power of God came over him and healed him right there. He should have died that night. Stewards of the memory of what God did, how faithful he's been, how closely he's walked with us. The word of the Lord to us today is now it's your turn. Now it's your turn to acquire the habits of desperation, of expectation, 
visitation, take personal responsibility to make sure that the generation after you will receive that as their inheritance as well. Amen. It's your turn now. I'm speaking specifically to those of you who are new, who have joined us in the last year. Maybe you joined us in the last month. I'm saying that it's time for you now to accept that mantle. And even those of us who have been there from the very beginning, it's time for us to wake up and remember who yes, we are. Yes. Because what happens when we forget is we get in the habit of living beneath our heritage. Yeah. We begin to practice the habit of self-inferiority, and then we lose respect for ourselves. We get depressed, and we become apathetic about life in general. Why? Because we're living far beneath our privilege, far beneath our heritage. Yeah. We can't respect yeah. ourselves anymore. We are depressed, and we don't know why. Yeah. Because simply we forgot. Yeah. Forgot how to be desperate. Yeah. Forgot how to expect. You tell me about your sickness, and I immediately walk away, and I begin to cower. Why? Because I forgot that I have a heritage of expectation that God is going to move. And here's the problem. The moment you acquire that inheritance, you're going to experience disappointment. I was telling my wife this morning that there's so many layers of disappointment in me, times that I expected God to do something, and it fell to the ground and died. My expectation did not come to pass. Yeah. And it's those layers of disappointment in which my expectation did not come to pass that try to separate me, distance me yeah, yeah, from my yeah, inheritance. Yeah. But I have to make a decision every day. Yeah. Job had to make that decision. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Yeah. I'm not giving up yeah. my inheritance. Buy the truth and sell it not. I will not sell it. Far be it from me to sell the inheritance of my fathers. Far be it from me to sell the inheritance of my fathers. I'm not giving up. I'm not letting it go. I'm not going to stop. Because in actuality, it's not even just about our church. You go back to when my wife was six, in the sixth grade, you'll see that same desperation. God birthed it in her as a sixth grader. You go back to when I was a little child, you'll see that desperation. I inherited it from mom and dad. I inherited it from both of my grandmothers. It came down through the generations. Which means that even myself, I'm a steward of something that was generationally deposited in my life. The question is, do you receive your inheritance today? It's just a decision. I received that desperation. It's an inheritance that's yours for free. But you've got to be willing to receive it and steward it. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would awaken our memory, our memory of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our memory, the God who calls us, the God who bids us to come. Grant that we would not remember the fish and the leeks, and the cucumbers and the garlic, but that we would remember that we were slaves in Egypt. That you brought us out with an outstretched hand and a mighty arm. You brought us out. So today we remember you. We will remember, we will remember and not forget. And Father, I pray for the current generation, even as Joshua had to take the children of Israel and circumcise them again before taking them into the promised land because it was a new generation that did not know Moses. 
a new generation that was not there when they crossed through the Red Sea, but they needed to be circumcised. God, let this be a day of circumcision where the new generation comes into the covenant by remembering the deposit, the call, the invitation that gave us birth. Speak your blessing over each and every heart, every mind, and every soul. In Jesus' name. We're just going to sing this song just for a moment.